Patrol Radio WDPR 96.3, your favorite trans-dimensional radio station. Sometimes trauma can feel like a trip down memory lane, even though it's not the best part of town. Are you sure you're taking your medication? Well, light them up, compadres. This is going to be a wild ride here on Doom Patrol Radio. Welcome back, nobody. It's your favorite trans-dimensional podcast this side of the apocalypse. My name is Mark. And my name is Nathan. And today we're talking about episode two of season four of Doom Patrol, which is called Butt Patrol. And you know, Nate, I think I've been too hard on the butts, you know? And I haven't really been criticizing it that much. I've just been like, I don't understand why the butts are back again for season four. I thought we were done with them. And they have become... I I loosely compared them to the Scissormen in, in yesterday's episode. Um... They feel like that. They feel like they are the scissor men of, of this TV show. And what I've realized in, in today's episode and how I feel about this episode um, overall is that the butts are needed in, in, in the sense of the emotional weight that this show can have sometimes. You and I have always loved how Doom Patrol can get very real about uh, reflective of our own lives and, and how we um, struggle with things in, in our own real life. Um, Doom Patrol can get there. It, it does get there quite a bit. And, you know, there, there's strangeness in the DNA of Doom Patrol. And when, it, when seeing today's episode, by the end of today's episode, episode two, um, I was like, damn. I needed the butts to kind of alleviate yeah. some of, of, of the rock bottomness that happens in, in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's, it's, um, it, it, I can see, you know, you need some butts to, to balance out the heart, you know, um, uh, put that on a t-shirt, yeah, but, it's, uh, it's pretty good. uh, but you're right. You, uh, with all the, uh, the emotional stress that comes with this show, you know, f- from my own watching, it's good to see, the silliness of zombie butts as being the detrimental world ending thing that's happening, you know, so be it that it's happening just this week. You know, we, we call them, we, we started to call the, the, the villains, the flavor of the week villains, you know, that started when we were watching the flash TV show and it was just a new villain every week, yada, yada, yada. That idea of just having these kind of throwaway characters. Yes. You can have a connection with them. Yes. You see the reference. Yes. You see what, is needed from them in relation to like the team's growth and everything like that. And they are kind of, you would have written those guys off the butts, written them off pretty quick in the previous seasons. Um, And I think we still kind of can. Yes. I agree that they're needed, especially after these, you know, very heavy, heavy duty doc episodes. Um, And you need something to laugh at and you need, to just take your mind off of the uh, unimpending doom that is this patrol. Put that on a shirt. Um, <laughs> and it's it's good to just like sit back and laugh at it. Um, I think it's also, it was a loose end 
from the last season, you know, the one, one where, but, uh, Darren got away and it's like, well, how do we kind of wrap that up? It is just kind of like a, let's finish that story. Um, but it seems like it's not just like, let's finish it and be done with it. It's, it has a lasting effect on it. Much like how the zombies still had a lasting effect in the previous season. That was a big stepping stone for our characters when they were zombies and the whole eat me and all of these things and, and more inner lookings of themselves and whatnot. Yeah. So I think like, Oh would, yeah. I was going to say they really define the, the butts in, in this episode. Like it's, it's become more of like a, um, more tangible character in yeah. by t- today's episode. Um, but now with that, I am now waiting to see how the end of this butts pandemic is going to, is that the right word? This butt apocalypse is going to play out. Um, yeah, but pandemic is probably the better, uh, better way to describe. It. I mean, Cliff Steele calls it the ass apocalypse, and I like that. I like. I, you good. probably can't you can't market it that way, but the but but apocalypse is, is is how they refer to it. Um, I like ass apocalypse, but 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 pandemic uh, is it seems rather fitting because I I I want to say it was intentional, and I want to I want to call them out for doing so because uh, I thought it, you know it's just tongue in cheek, but. You know, Doom Patrol started in, what, 2016? Um, we're now in the year 2022 recording this and seeing season four. Um, season two of Doom Patrol was uh, cut abruptly for the pandemic, and then season three, they were coming out of the pandemic, and they were continuing to film again. Um, and this butt apocalypse, this butt pandemic, um, the origins of today's episode, there's a bunch of flashbacks of their their outbreak and it goes from 2016 to 2017 then we're in 2019 is the outbreak and so in in 2020 and then 2022 we see this butt pandemic so it seems to parallel uh, a pandemic that that we experienced in real life um, and if you're listening to this in, in 2050 or whatever, yeah, there was like a pandemic in, in 2020. I'm sure you read about it in a textbook. Uh, we survived it so far. Um, and it seems like it was, it was quite the, uh, uneventful moment in time, really. It was very boring and very scary <laughs> at the same time. And also increased our anxiety. Like I had to see a therapist. So, you know, it was <laughs> so uneventful. And it, it, yeah, it was. It was a it was a wild time. It really was. Um, the butt pandemic seems to be like it's going to be a wild time. So, um, but I really got to stop saying that word when we're talking about butt patrol. Mm-hmm. Um, today's episode written by Eric Dietl. Uh, who else but Eric Dietl would write today's episode? Mm-hmm. The great, um, the lovely. <laughs> there are some things. I, I, if if Eric is listening to this. There, there's things that we called about called out in the last episodes that that he's written um, some interesting little things I've seen on set that I'm like oh that looks really cool and then it's like oh Eric you know uh, has like some of those things or you know has played around with some of the the key items that are on set um, and there's something at the end of of this episode which is uh, a, a box of cereal called Mentalos. Oh, Did yeah. you catch that one? Yeah, yeah. That, of course uh, I caught it. Yeah, of course I caught it. I was asking the listeners, boy. Oh, sorry. I'm so <laughs> sorry. I'm so sorry. 
But the it was a great cool. Easter egg. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed seeing that. I, I'm, I think they showed that in a in a previous episode as well, in like a magazine or comic, um, something about Mentallo like that. But yeah. um, the Mentallo seeing the cereal box, it was cool. I had something like that. I like to see Brotherhood live. That was a cool vinyl record that was shown in season three when we got to see the the home of the Brotherhood of Evil. It's stuff like that that when I see an Eric Dietl episode and then I see things like that, I'm like. That's the nerdy stuff that I yeah. that I point at, like Leonardo DiCaprio, and go, "That's awesome." Yeah, it's like give um, me give, give me an hour in your prop room and let me just have fun. Yeah, um, directed by Christopher Manley again for this episode and yesterday's episode, um, Doom Patrol. Uh, so we have Christopher Manley back directing this episode. And Nate, what did you think about Butt Patrol overall? It, it was a it's a good. It's a good episode. Um, I really like the end. I uh, I had a lot of fun watching this episode. Um, my whole mindset going into this show now that we're in the fourth season is that of like such an established base that I have with this show. And there's just such a strong connection. It doesn't feel like, you know, however long... It was between season one and four, uh, that amount of time, six months or whatever it was. It doesn't seem like that happened because um, it's like picking up where we left off. Everybody's on the same beat. It feels good. Um, it's just excellent to just be in this world again. And uh, particularly this episode with Butt Patrol, it, I'm going back to what I said before. It seems like it's kind of like a tying up a loose end. Um, and it was kind of a fun way to be able to write these characters of these crazed butts and fitting them into a Doom Patrol-sized problem, that being the ass-pocalypse. Because who, mm-hmm. who else would, who else would, you know? Who the else, world's yeah. having an ass-pocalypse, who else would but the Doom Patrol? So it's yeah. really cool to just see, like, that idea of these butts and turning it into this big, massive, world-ending thing that we now have to figure out. Um it's great to see like the different team dynamics uh, change in this episode. Mm-hmm. The biggest mm-hmm. one was the Madame Rouge one, which we'll get to. Um, and I think that was my favorite part uh, coming out of this episode, really. Yeah. It, it Yesterday's, or, or the first episode, Doom Patrol, it was a a big episode to to establish, to platform this new season. You know, what is what is the premise? What are we going to be dealing with? What, what is the state of all of these characters individually? What do they all have going on internally um, and independently? This episode, it feels more compact, but more or harder hitting than, than episode one, at least in terms of, of the development of what's going on with these characters as we move forward. Because they've been hit with this huge bomb in, in the first episode, which is of the future, now they're trying to desperately make decisions in this crisis and are they making the best decisions they know that they know that time is short and they must make a decision now those decisions that they're making in haste is that going to be better for them is it going to be the right choice to make it's a big question um for a lot of the characters and um i really enjoyed the pairing of these characters. I, I enjoyed a lot when they do it. Um, one of the highlights of, of last season was seeing an episode with Crazy Jane and Larry Trainer 
to go to the well, right? Like when you have those interesting pairings, it, it really um, it, it has this chemistry with these characters that you, you've you already been established with and their different pairings fire off different uh, reactions. Uh, this episode, we will be seeing Cliff Steele and Madame Rouge. And then in another scenario, we have Rita Farr and Larry Trainer, which seems common, but in this context... It's a totally different conversation um, than what we're used to. And even though it seems like the, the, the total opposite of, of the chemistry that they used to have, it's, um, like I said, it's, it, it hits harder because you've known these characters for four seasons now. And what they go through, it, it hits really hard. Um, then we have Crazy Jane and, and Vic Stone, which... I, I think we've had pairings of these two characters before. Obviously, they're very incompatible whatsoever. Um, and it's it's their both of their progressions meeting again that it has a different type of context to it. And it goes back to one of our favorite, at least for me, one of my favorite panels of Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol was was Crazy Jane asking, you know, what is that? What is it? What is it that normal people have? You know, what does it mean to be normal? Yeah, um, it's a very good conversation that uh, Crazy Jane and and Vic Stone have with each other. Uh, so overall, it's it's a really tight, emotional episode. By the end of it, at first you feel like it's not going to be like that because it is about the apocalypse. Um, we kind of have a mutiny against Rita Farr. We we overthrow her. We put a new person in power. Um, and then everyone starts to split off all of a sudden. And before you know it, you're in these paired character arcs and then you're like, Oh, they're doing their own things with each other. This is cool. And then by the end of the episode, you're like, Oh shit, everyone like this, this, this hurts a little bit. I wasn't prepared for this on the first day of season four, you know? Yeah. Um, the dynamics from the team in this episode, I think is, is really cool. Um, one of my favorite things to see out of a team-up story is the different things happening, but all within, like, the same story. Um, it happens a lot in Hickman adventure books, and I think that's one of, like, the best examples that I can give just because it's the most clearest way to see that depicted in a comic book. <clears throat> you have all the members of the Avengers. They're off doing their thing, right? But you do pair up these specific characters with each other with specific dynamics, and they're going off and doing the thing that is ultimately for the same goal as everybody else, right? That's how you can tell a good team and a good team-up is working, where you can have the different types of character builds going off on their own and doing things and accomplishing their task and learning something about themselves and learning something about their other person or learning how they fit within that own team that's how you can tell it's a good team makeup good group dynamics in my opinion i think um madame rouge is this amazing character to me now madame rouge is this character that can see that laura demille her job was to assess metahumans and figure out where they fit best. That is her entire job. Yeah, that has like an evil underlying tone to it because atrocities of humankind and wars and whatnot, yada, yada, yada. But still, Laura DeMille, Madame Rouge, was this person that was 
in charge of determining this metahuman's future or where their place fit in this world. Now as she is faced with this group of misfits that are together and not splitting up, and yet she has to figure out a way to make them fit in whatever makes sense to her, you know? whatever makes sense to her is you're a weapon or you're not a weapon kind of thing. We get to see that very clearly when she goes off with Cliff. It is one of the most impactful things I have seen in this Doom Patrol, Doom Patrol series is Madame Rouge's having to, having to realize what she's doing. Like, she lives it. Towards the end of the, the episode, you see her and Cliff get back, and Cliff is, you know, coping with the deed that he just did, and it looked like Madame Rouge was, you know, left the room and left him to his own thoughts and stuff. She did, but really she was there reflecting on what she just did. She assessed Cliff, said, you're a weapon. You're coming with me. We're going to go get the job done. The other group, they have their, they're going to go do what they do. Let them figure it out on themselves, but the mission is to go kill Darren. I just need Cliff. You are the machine, the killing machine. That's it. And then Laura, you don't look at the after fact of that. Now you have to live the after after fact. Her entire life was just putting stamps, weapon, 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 sending them out, you know? She didn't get to see those people come back through her door and saying, hey, that mission you just sent me on was crazy. It, it messed me up a little bit. No, she has to see that now. She has to face that now. And she's going to do it with every single freaking member of this Doom Patrol. And that is going to be how she's able to center herself. That's the only way she's going to be able to center herself, is realizing that those that what you're doing is just wrong, you know? Yeah, yeah, ends justify means, but at what cost? The cost of lives, you know? Decency of a human being, all that stuff. Um, yeah. and It's, it's just it's really, really cool that, that that was just a very good... This is a very good team dynamic episode. Yeah, the Doom Patrol aren't all together doing Doom Patrol things, but they are the team breaking off into their certain sex, with a C, and doing, doing their deeds. Um, uh, Crazy Jane and Vic, those two are the most peer with each other. Like, they are peers, like, through yeah. and through. That's it. Like, yeah. they almost have a very similar kind of complex on some levels of, you know, inadequacies and, and figuring out your own place and purpose and all this stuff, right? And it's like, you two match up. Like, you guys bounce off each other. Yeah, you're going to butt heads because you're the same person. Like, you see that now, right? And it's just really cool to see these teams break up like that. Rita and Larry, Mm -hmm. um, they're (laughs) doing Rita and Larry things, arguing with each other back and forth about my problems are your problems. No, my problems are my problems. Your problems are your problems. You know, that whole thing. The codependency aspect of Larry and Rita is phenomenal in this episode. It just makes a great team makeup when you can have the team split off and still find themselves and come back together at the end of the day. That's good. That's golden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like what you were saying about, uh, you know, Laura DeMille has never seen the product of her, her damnation for uh, metahumans as weapons. Season three the only metahumans she associated with were ones that she deemed not a weapon. Therefore they worked at the ant farm. And then it, it seems like, I mean, you can even infer there. I mean, maybe I missed it. Maybe we, maybe we did talk about it or not, but as Lord DeMille, you are also, these people that were deemed not a weapon, they end up becoming the sisterhood of Dada, which is like the ultimate weapon where they 
do the eternal flagellation all over the world, and they do end up becoming a weapon. And, you know, was Laura DeMille looking for evidence that they could be a weapon? Was she manifesting that that behavior into them? Was she promoting that behavior? You know, Projecting. she event Yeah, eventually they did become weapons as metahumans. And, um, you know, she eventually has a way of making people into weapons. It's, it's something, it's such a sly thing that happens in today's episode that if you think about it, it really tricked the audience. It tricked Cliff Steele, but more importantly, it tricked us into doing something or, or, or buying into something that we thought they were going to to do, which is like, um, you know, Laura DeMille, at first she's like, oh, I don't know if I want to be the leader. It's like, okay, I'll give it a shot. Um, give me an hour to prepare. And then as soon as everyone turns around, she's just like, Cliff, come with me. We're going to go save the world. How about yeah. that? And he's like, hell yeah. And then we're thinking, oh, this is going to end badly because they might fuck up or, or you know, they're going to end up causing the butt apocalypse. Like you, you're thinking they're going to mess up in some ways other than oh, no, they are going to be successful, and that's a bad thing because what she does is manipulate Cliff Steele into being a weapon. Um, there's a moment in, in that episode when he kills Darren Jones. Uh, you know, Darren Jones as a zombie that wants to be killed, it's a very tender, sweet moment with this guy and his farm, right? Uh, you know, it's a, probably the only time I've ever like been like, hey, this Darren Jones not such a bad guy, but I mean, he's awful in every other part of his history. Um, but he, he wants to be killed. And I'm thinking, you know, that last episode, I just saw her turn her hand into a sword, just go over there and stab him in the head. Like he's asking to be killed. And then now I'm thinking she, that's not what she wants. She wants Cliff Steele to kill this man because she wants to prove that he is a weapon. Yeah, she needs she needs a robot man. She needs robot man. It's just, it's you know, you see it in sports all day every day, don't you? You just you gotta you gotta get those players to get to that point, right? You gotta get them there. You gotta yeah. do something to get them there. That's villainous, but it fucking works. That's the double edged sword part of That's it. That's the double edged sword. It's villainous. What you're doing is villainous, but it wins. And there is, it, it's not about <laughs> when you put things into the pot of win or lose, there is no good or evil into that situation. It really is just evil because you yourself have to figure out how to win. You have to do all that you can to win, you know? Captain Kirk will tell you otherwise, and we're bringing up Star Wars, Star Trek, oh shit, we're bringing up Star oh, Trek God. logic back into this, but yeah. it's, inherently, it is just like, you had to, to do the thing to get that person there to get the result that you wanted, and the result that you wanted was very clear to you, kill Darren Jones, it wasn't capture Darren Jones and turn him in somewhere and do something, no, it was stop that thing, so... Yeah, I don't know. It was. I think it's a really good choice to have Rouge as the team leader now, um, and even with her second guessing herself, inherently she knows how to lead. She knows exactly what to do because she knows what needs to be done. Whatever evil in the world needs to be stopped because her own personal vendetta against herself. You know. I was a bad person. I need to atone for all the things that I need to do. How do I be a good person? 
and doing everything that you think is how to be a good person, there's some evil in there. You just killed Darren Jones when you didn't need to. Yes. A- asterisk there. You d- didn't need to, but really, I can't answer that because I don't know what the... If I was put in that situation, I don't know what I would do. I would probably say, yeah, I guess he does have to die. Like, that, that, that is it. Is there a way to save him? I don't know. I'm open... To suggestions. <laughs> well, I mean, we don't even know if he's related to the Buttpocalypse. Yeah. You could ask some questions first, but it opens up a bigger philosophy. This whole episode opens up a bigger philosophy between being a just person and being an unjust person. Like, what is justice to these people? What is justice to uh, Madame Rouge, to Laura DeMille? You know, there's, uh, in this episode, in the beginning of the episode, they outvote Rita Farr as the leader. Um, they they decide that they want to invest in Madame Rouge as the leader of the Doom Patrol, and one of the reasons um, Cliff Steele uh, his 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 response is that um, we've we've tried having Rita as as the leader of the Doom Patrol. We need Laura Demille because she is a supervillain. She can do things without feeling remorse for the decisions she's making. We need an unjust person to be the leader to make those ugly decisions to get justice question mark. You know, like if Laura DeMille sees this as the way to stop the apocalypse and to stop evil, you are committing an unjust act to be a just person. There's a very conflicting philosophy going on um, with these characters and and oftentimes people see being a just person is more of um, a, a chore than it is uh, something of, of, of something to do ethically because you want to do it no, no one ever wants to be a just person they do it for for the credit for the honor for a reward um, any of those things. And so if you're an unjust person, you can just have those things. Um, if you live unjust, just unjustly, unjustly. Yeah. So it's a very, very psychological, um, key of events that happen in today's episode. And, um, I think what hurts the most about what happens between, um, Cliff and Madame Rouge is that moment where he sees that Gran Torino and he's talking about in the moment of things, it's tactile. You forget everything else and you're just fixing a solution. Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. When you kill someone, you just become a weapon and it's tactile to take your hand and crush someone's skull. And that's it. You've done it. You don't, you just fix a problem, and that's it, you're done. And that's what Madame Rouge got Cliff to do, is just kill someone and get it over with without feeling bad about it because you are just a weapon. You should just kill that person and move on. But that's not what humans do. That's not what normal people do. It's what a robot would do, but not what a robot man would do. Not what a man would do. Man isn't human. All-encompassing. The race of man, if you will. Um, I, speaking still on like the the butts and everything, I just didn't want to skip over the whole music man section because that was just that was just brilliant. <laughs> that was just really. Uh, re- I was yeah. not expecting 
but uh, also I should have expected it. Like, but it's just excellent. I, I uh, yeah, I loved it. I loved it. Again, the uh, the the music cues in here they they work really well. It's all really well played. The the yeah. The, the choice of songs in, in today's episodes is fantastic. We also need to give a shout out to our um, guest of today's episode, which is Keiko Agane. She is um, she plays Kim in, in Gilmore Girls. She was um, the, the friend to to um, Rory. Um, do, you, do you watch Gilmore Girls, Nathan? No, I've a okay. couple episodes here and there, but yeah, no, sorry. Uh, oh, okay. I was a seventh heaven kind of gal. No. <laughs> More of a OC person. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> one, one Tree Hill, let's be real. So uh, Keiko is playing this character, Dr. Dr. Yu, Dr. Margaret Yu, if I, if I remember correctly. Um, very, very interesting character, uh, just theatrically in Egg- the scene. Enigmatic, is that the word? Egma- enigmatic? Yeah, there's something, there's something that feels very... Theatrics. Uh, Grant Morrison, I was going to say, Doom Patrol. Like yeah, just just the being all kind of quirky while you're yeah. in this area. In the lab 51. code with the cool shirt, and you're just and you're a linguist, but you have a musical theater minor. It's like, yeah, abs- of course, you know. Yeah. What better way to understand language than through music, the universal language of everything? Yeah, and and it feels very Grant Morrison Ant Farm, um, especially the moment where she's in the, in the metal detector and she's like, both hands are up, one foot mm-hmm. is up. And it's like this pose of like scanning that she decides to do it. But I feel like in Grant Morrison's books, it would have been like the ant farm requires you to stand like this because we you have to know. do a plie. Like, <laughs> yeah, you we scan this way for oddities in, in your body, depending on which stance you, you, you use. So something like that. I feel like Grant Morrison would have written into into how the ant farm screens people in into it um so just the way that this character carried itself throughout the episode it felt very much like this feels like it may have been a grant morrison character in doom patrol i don't know that it that it is based on anything like that but i i do enjoy the way this character looks um there's some flashbacks with some characters that we've seen in the ant farm one is the the general of the ant farm um and this is like a real grant morrison character uh, the general is, is eating this Big Mac. Stupid general eating the Big Mac. Like, yeah, like yeah, being like, what are those things? Like, yeah. just like you must go home to your nuclear family. You go to church on Sundays. And, you know, it, it, you believe in God, and it, it's like it's such a classic '50s character in modern time. And it's yeah, it, it's like the it, McDonald's for brains kind yeah. of person. There's something about this character that I. It I really screams Grant. Yeah, I haven't had one in a while. That does sound pretty good. <laughs> but yeah, um, it was all it, very Morrison-esque. Like this whole, this whole uh, flashback farm, sequence. And yeah, everything. yeah, it was. It was really cool. Even when we got to see the 2007 flashback of when the Doom Patrol sacked the Amp Farm, and yeah. uh, the good doctor's just sitting there eating lunch. It's like this is great. Good, good blocking. Good, good time placement. Yeah, it, and it was really fun too because like I'm watching it happen. She's there, the butt, the butt breakout is happening at the ant farm, and I'm like, okay, so this is must be when the Doom Patrol was there. I wonder if the Doom Patrol is going to show up. Like Robot Man is going to show up in this shot, and sure enough, he comes running in, and it's like, oh, this is so well 
shot, like this blocking here with her. And then it feels like a comic book panel where it's like a character just sitting in the silhouette. And then you see Robot Man coming in, in into it's the same panel, you know, but then um, Robot Man is added in. It's stuff like that, that it's like, oh, this feels like I feel like I can see the comic book dots of that paneling. Yeah. Yeah, so it feels it felt really good to to see that. Um, like I said at the beginning of this episode or at the beginning of this podcast episode, is that it surprised me how much I've gotten on board with the butts because of this episode. You know, like avoids when I heard about season four is going to have the butts in it. I, I was like, is it really necessary? To, is that what we need the hype? <laughs> is there nothing for? bigger that we can address? <laughs> well, I feel like the butts were so big. It, it, I feel like it helped create um, the Doom Patrol hype. I mean, that and, and Danny Street with like the whole town orgasm. Like that was another thing where people was like, what the hell is this show? Yeah, you know, it's stuff like that. And the butts were, were one of those things. It created hype for the show. So I didn't know season four was like, the butts are big. We got to put the big butts in the show, you know? And uh, and then I was like, do we, do we, do I care? And then in this episode, I'm like, I understand now. I see how they can be um, a tool, like, or, or a good character to, to work off of. Um, a good setting for the Doom Patrol. And, um, yeah, this, this whole ant farm thing was a really good scene. Um, I, since we're talking, since we were just talking about Cliff Steele, Madame Rouge and, and trying to end this buttpocalypse, I want to bring up the, the, the frozen butt that is at, at the end of, of this episode. And when we see the final credit or when we see the final scene of, of this episode, and we realized that Keiko had, or Dr. Wu's, or Dr. Yu's character has brought uh, Nicholas one half of a conjoined butt home to her place. Um, that leads me to believe that Theodore or Teddy, the other half of the conjoined butt twins, um, it has to be this one that's in this, in this frozen capsule, right? Yeah. Like, it would be the other one. Yeah. That, yeah. So, um, very weird looking when they're frozen. It was like so, looking at an alien. It was. It was very alien-esque. Um, but it kind of, it goes to say, that it goes back to Madame Rouge's whole whole shtick of her not, you know, they, di- they didn't really do that much by going off and just killing Darren Jones. Like, he wasn't really in connection with the butts. He wasn't the one that was going to start the spread, clearly. Maybe the Doom Patrol is the one that starts to spread. They're the ones that brought the butt back to Cloverton. Like, you know, that one was on ice. It's in their house. Nicholas is living it up in an apartment. So who's really at fault at this point, you know? Um, But yeah, like the whole Darren Jones thing was just like, that was the loose end that the Doom Patrol knew that they had to go figure out, but didn't really do much, did it? It's so sad. It's so (laughs) sad. Like, it... uh... He's a zombie. If, well, if, yeah. You know, if someone if someone were to go around him and not wear a helmet like Cliff did, you know, maybe he would have. Maybe it would have been that person that would have, you know, turned him. We can assume that he was isolating himself on this farm, and and not a soul was around, you know, for him to, at least have a crop of tomatoes in enough time. There was such like a a jolt of um, 
energy in me when I when I realize that Cliff Steele has uh, you know he, he kills Darren Jones, but then you realize that the, the the oven mitt that he's been wearing to stop himself from touching anything else except his grandson is off and it's in there. It's like it's almost like a jump scare to me when I when I see that scene and when that shot cuts and his hands in there, and I'm like, oh no. Yeah, you're touching someone's brain. It's yeah. like, oh god, it's or or lack thereof. Yeah, yeah. It it feels it was so sad. Like it was a jump scare. Like it was a literal like, oh god, you like you broke something that you should. It was have a done. villainous thing for Madame Rouge to do. That was yeah. that. It was just it. Like they said, they needed to have a villain, you know, as the leader to see, you know, to fight ruthlessness and all this stuff. And this is this is what you get. It works to an extent, you know. You guys did your mission. Yeah. You killed Darren Jones. It works to kill someone. She, <laughs> and maybe she knew that he had no involvement. She just knew that Cliff Steele would kill such a man. You know, maybe. And that's even more villainous for Rouge. That you just had to do this step one. Who's the first person that needs to... Who's the person that Cliff needs to kill for him to like set him over the edge of... Yeah, you can be killing Robot Man, you know? Yeah. But he was killing the Nazis back in Paraguay in season one, wasn't he? Yes, and didn't he... F- Crazy Jane saw him as a monster. That that I was thinking yeah. about that same exact scene. Back then, he couldn't feel anything. And he yeah. was just... He was, I mean, he was an awful person on the inside. We hadn't, we hadn't reconciled anything about Cliff Steele yet. Um and you put him in a robot body, and of course he has superhuman strength. He can dismember people, and if he, you know, we we see Nazis as bad people, so it's very obvious to to go and kill Nazis. Like it's an easy win; nobody debates it. You just go and kill some Nazis. But it's not about them that's dying. It's about what are you doing by being a monster. Mm-hmm. by being this weapon yeah. right and that was in season one now we're seeing it in, yeah she's manipulating him to to be to make those decisions um and this time you know he goes he sees someone that may have been a nazi i mean darren jones was very close to being one um <laughs> and it's like but and then you see him in this setting and, and he's asking for this um um atonement for his sins is euthanizing and and then you're like wait i mean just we talk about it first before i do (laughs) kill you but no you know he's activated and then he kills him and yeah it just it starts to really it blurs the line i don't know if it blurs the line but it just it makes it scary it makes it sad yeah it really hurts (laughs) i didn't i didn't like i don't um I don't like how we set up Doom Patrol characters and knock them down, but that's that's what we aim for, right? Like that's what yeah, it is. That's that... what that's that's how you can tell it's working. You're feeling something for these characters in a fictional television show, and then like I have a tear come down my yeah. eye when it's like, oh, dang, yeah, that makes me feel okay. Yeah. I like this show. <laughs> I remember so when I got done watching the second episode, um, my fiance she walked out. She was working and she was like. Oh, how was how was your new how was your new show? And I was like, oh, you know, sad, because <laughs> episode two had just ended. And I'm like, I don't know what else to say. It was heavy, yeah. heavy yeah. duty, doc. Um, 
Let's talk about Vic Stone and Crazy Jane here. Crazy Jane's back as being the primary. Uh, Vic Stone, he has data about someone who does have a uh, a butt in their captivity. We'll end up finding out that this is Tommy Snyder, again, playing a new character called the Butt Hunter, and not the Beard Hunter, because Beard Hunter died in uh, a painting explosion with Ezekiel and Mr. Nobody. Um, but he's playing a new character, the Butt Hunter, uh, and boy, does he look different. <laughs> yeah. Still like, the same good old hunter, though. <laughs> the same good old uh, comedic timing with his with yeah. his performance. Does a real good hench personality. Um, I quite like this character. Um, it, he plays it at such a funny angle, too. I really enjoyed this moment. Um, but yeah, the, the moment between Vic Stone and Crazy Jane, what I really liked about this... Um, was again that Vic Stone is trying to be a normal person. Yet at the same time, he's trying to be this hero. He knows how to stop the butt apocalypse. He's going to do so. And Crazy Jane is is has tagged along with him, and she puts doubt into each of his statements. You know, like what he's doing, why he's here, what does he have planned for tomorrow, what does he have planned when this is over. You know, they they always plan on they, people need saving all the time. Um, you would have thought once he was human, he'd be done by now. It's a very interesting um, moment between the two characters. And I quite like this conversation. I, I like, um, not only for Vic's sake, but I like this conversation for Crazy Jane because, again, it goes back to that comic book of what do normal people have? What will I have when Kay Chalice is whole again? You know, um, when I find out what Kay wants or needs, what happens then? You know, it's a very important conversation that these two have. Um, I think it's really cool to see that um, Crazy Jane, uh, we saw it a little bit in a little bit of a flash of this episode, that now she seems to have a better grasp of her purpose, but still lost because what is that purpose of what is the point of being up on top? We're said we're, you know, taught to believe that it is just protection for Kay. And that is very well the purpose of crazy Jane, but how far is it supposed to go? And what is it protection from? I think Jane is always worried about like, what am I going to do when I'm not needed? But what I think is being missed is, is Kay ever going to not want her personalities? Or is Kay ever going to want to be back on top again? Like, is that the sense of normality that they're searching for? I, maybe that's wrong, you know? Maybe Jane is always supposed to be at the top and be the main protector of Kay Chalice, just like how normal people put on a happy face when they're depressed or whatever, you know, whatever that idea of, of, you know, putting on your mask. Um, I think it's just kind of like a little, little peek behind that mental distress of, of not knowing purpose or, or where you fit and all of these things. And going back to what I said before, Victor Stone is the perfect person to have next to you in dealing with this stuff because he's in the same exact boat. He doesn't like to think that he's in the boat, but he is. It's why Jane and Vic are through and through their peers. Like, they are, you know, if you want to even say close together in age or whatever, that's not true because Jane is 
timeless. Um, but still, they act very much peer-like. Um, and I just really like seeing that happen in this household. Yeah. Both of them view what's happened to them in the past as something that's broken them. And it has. It, it physically and, and mentally has broken them. Um, but they are wrestling with the idea that maybe it empowered them to change the world around them. It's a very... <clears throat> It's a it's a very hefty conversation to have because you never want to admit like your trauma has made you stronger. You don't want to like you know sink to that level of, of trying to reason with what's been done to you and, and and stuff like that. You want to reconcile what's happened to you. Um, and there's a part in them where you know Kate Chalice or or Crazy Jane has has to question if Kate Chalice becomes normal. What will Kate Chalice do then? What will she, what what will her tomorrow look like? Um, a life without her personalities, her underground, um, is it is that then feeling complete, or will you then feel empty because those personalities are gone? Um, is that healing? Vic Stone as well. When you are no longer cyborg, are you healed? Are you yeah. better now? It's 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 a very hard question because, like we saw in last in 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 the first episode of the season, working with his father on technology felt good, and it's something that they used to do when they worked on his tech. Um, and when you're not cyborg anymore, he misses those things. Yeah. So it's definitely shown. It, definitely shown. Yeah, it, it it really is a hard question, and 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 moving forward, and I, uh, there will be sadness when when you've when you look back a- after all the progress you've made. Um, let's take let's say for example you made all the right steps and you have moved from point A to point B and you've made a lot of good progress. Regardless, when you look back, it, it will be you will feel a little bit sad about it because of, of of the journey you've gone through yeah how you got there yeah yeah and that's that's the whole point i mean i think that's that's something that madame rouge is probably dealing with just from her past stuff and all of these things just kind of boil down to this is the perfect team to see all of these things fold out yeah um so then our last characters that we will be butting heads with um, is good old Rita Farr and Larry Trainer, and I love this this power couple. I love this this couple since day one. Um, I think you and I, Nathan, we we've fallen in love with with this um, combination of characters. These are the originals. These are the 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 first two that were in that house. Um, They're mom and dad. Yes, it's nice to see them. Um, and again, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to see Larry Trainer. Um, he refers to Keeg as like all he has left is Keeg, and in the context of his relationship with Rita Farr, it's like, but what about you two? Like, does does she not is she not included in in, in what you have? And but in the context of what he was explaining, you know, when she did her whole time travel, Rita Rita Farr time bandit or whatever we said it was. Um, yeah. 
he even mentions like since you came back like you're not the same person like where did you go you know and that's true but Rita had an experience and grew from it and is now a different person arguably a better person maybe maybe not um but she did a thing and she went through Larry still did a thing that he was going through but he has yet to grow and learn from it he's still stuck in this codependency thing and if it's not Rita it's with Keeg you know, Keeg is more there because it's it's a part of him now. And Rita was was just the housemate. And I don't mean just that kind of puts a dampening on it. But Rita was the only person, really, you know, it was the three of them, I guess. Uh, Niles, Niles Calder. Yeah. yeah. And Rita and and they were doing their things and slowly accompanying other members and, and you know, helping them fit into the house and and just be okay with being there and all that stuff and now that rita left and came back and is a different person larry obviously feels like he was left behind i mean it's it's just blatant codependency uh but it's like i it's a strong want to work towards something better for him you know it's like you were doing the right thing with saying, yeah, Rita, like you're talking about trust and all these things and I don't even know who you are. Like we're strangers now. It's like, yeah, that is the exact conversation you are supposed to be having with your best friend and you guys need to duke it out, you know? Like work work it out with each other. It's not like you're going anywhere. Yeah, I think both of them need to realize that they are changing. They've wanted change. They've been, they've been with you. The, well, they yeah. found... They found comfort being with each other in that mansion for almost a century, uh, almost yeah, almost seventy years. Like worth. seventy years, yeah, yeah. In that house together, um, they've they've stayed the way that they are, and they've repressed, you know, the the physical quirks of of their trauma. And then when Doom Patrol starts, then it's like, oh, you have to face your demons and it gets harder and it gets harder. But you get through it and you come out the other end as a different person. And now both of them have gone through this metamorphosis, butterfly pun, um, and they are different now. And now we have a new Larry Trainer and a new Rita Farr. And they're not the same person that they were by the end of um, or the start of season three, when season three started with the ending of, of season two, and Larry Trainer went off into the into negative space and gave back um, the other part, the other key, the other negative spirit, and um, you know, just just different, just different people now. He he's evolved, she's evolved, and then I'm I'm very curious to see how this new relationship comes because we should consider it. And I think they need to do that too. They need to they need to consider that they are both different people now, and yeah. to see what that see what this new relationship is like. And I think this explosion that they've had is the first like, why aren't we not the same as we used to be? And like, because you're not, and you need yeah. to accept that. So it's very heartbreaking. And and she went and she had this whole relationship with the sisterhood and uh, agent. Yeah. She lived a life. Yeah. Heartbreaking. Not to say that Larry didn't, you know, living. Well, he did in his own way. In his own way, in his bedroom and everything like that. But still, they need each other. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like he has, he hasn't, he has this other codependency with 
um, uh, this negative spirit that he's treated like a child. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's a lot. He's gone through, they've both gone through the same exact thing. They just don't realize it yet. Yeah. So they're wrestling with everything. Yeah. Wrestling with control is what they're both doing at the moment. Um, yeah, it's just very, very, very heartbreaking. Um, so it's very, very heavy episode for today. Um, that's all I have for this one, Nate. I don't know if you have anything else you wanted to, to add in about today's episode. No, I think that's pretty much it. Yeah, I'm curious to see um, what the rest of this ep- uh, rest of this season looks like. I'm really excited to see a certain character that you and I have been waiting to see in Doom Patrol. I know last season we finally got Brain and Monsieur Mala. Uh, it looks like a certain ambulance driver might be in this season, so I'm curious oh, to yeah. see how that looks. Um, and then I think... Um, I think Dorothy is making a return as well. And I think I saw a glimpse of some candle maker in there as well. So mm-hmm. very interesting to see. Um, I'm hoping to see a lot more Rachel Pollock stuff in, in Doom Patrol season four. So yeah, we're going to wrap it up for today. If you guys enjoyed everything you heard, you can find us on Doom Patrol, uh, on Twitter at, at radio Doom Patrol. And we are part of the dueling genre network now, which is, has a ton of podcast content. So if you go to duelinggenre.com, there's a ton of, of original works. There's a ton of podcasts that do what we do, which is talk about TV shows, movies, video games, etc. Comic books are a big one. So find us on there. Um, if you enjoy the podcast, please let us know uh, what you liked about it. Leave us a positive review. It helps other people find out about the show. And yeah, we'll catch you guys next time.